What up guys? All right, today I am like obsessed, obsessed with doing health interviews right now, guys, because it is like our freaking superpower. It's the thing that when we focus on, when we focus on our hormones, when we focus on sleep, when we focus on our cycle, when we really focus on these things, like it literally is like having an, a superpower. And once you get them right, honestly, you want to know how I show up with confidence? It is this. I pay attention to everything regarding health and especially the foods that we eat. Because guys, when I've, I've had so many health issues and I, I realized that depending on what I eat, I literally can either show up with energy, I can be exhausted. Let's face it, hangry is a thing. And so on Women of Impact, it is important to me that we talk about the no BS ways that we can show up as a badass. And the one thing we have to, have to, have to, just gonna repeat, we must have to focus on our health. And so today I'm so excited because I've got the glucose goddess on the show. She's a freaking biochemist. I mean, come on now, a freaking biochemist that blew up Instagram as she was sharing her data of her own biohacking. So what she would do is she would take foods and eat them in different orders, different times a day, different ways, and then track the impact that that had on her body. And holy smokes, guys, she smashes all freaking expectations and totally shatters everything you thought you knew about glucose. She also explains, guys, how on earth we can handle our food cravings. Because if you're ravenous, and no matter what you eat, you're not able to quench that craving, you can't focus on anything else. And then if you can't focus on anything else, then you really can't show up to be a freaking badass. So she really does break down how on earth we can manage that, how we can look at the magic of when and how we can eat so that you can boost your energy for utter clarity. And ultimately, guys, as always, you know the goal is to show up like a freaking badass and be able to have our own backs. So without further ado, my girl, Jessie, the glucose goddess, Guys, this is one where you need to get your pen and your paper. In fact, you need to get a pad because one piece of paper won't do it. She drops so many nuggets of gold. So without further ado, let's dive in with my girl, the Glucose Goddess. And if this episode did bring you value, please do share, like, send it to your homies. The goal is to spread the women of impact word, guys. We need to be talking about this stuff more and more. We need to empower each other as well as ourselves. So if this episode did bring you value, tell your homies about women of impact. And now let's get to the episode. This is so important. Why is nobody talking about this? The glucose goddess is in the house and destroys and debunks every single thing we thought was true. That is the core belief that I'm here to debunk. So, are you ready? She shows us how easy it can be to turn your health around. And just by doing this for a few days, you can really start feeling an impact. Dude, this is so powerful because I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone. There's something happening in your body that's really amazing when you do this. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about it. And guys, if you've stayed here this long, stay tuned, because she's gonna literally drop so many nuggets. Jessie, the glucose goddess. <laughs> Welcome to Women of Impact. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here. Dude, I'm so happy to have you. Your book is called Glucose Revolution. And I just want to read out actually the subtitle because it's so Do damn it. powerful. Mm -hmm. Lose weight, stop cravings, get your energy back and still eat what you love. Yes. Now, it is so important that we talk about what are the things that we can start to eat that are going to give us the clarity of mind, feel good about ourselves, not have, um, you know, like dips in our energy. Yes. But also, I don't want to glance over the fact that weight, how we feel about ourselves, 
make a massive difference of how we show up. So I don't necessarily want to talk about weight loss mm -hmm. from a how get as skinny as possible, but there are a lot of women right now that don't have the confidence to do the things in their life they want because they feel helpless, because they feel like they're out of control in how they sleep, how their weight is, and then their energy. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, glucose is important for everybody. And that's one of the main discoveries I made that put me on this crazy path of talking about blood sugar of all things, like what a random thing to talk about. And what I found is that the vast majority of the population has a glucose issue, but most of us don't know it, right? And so, you know, weight loss becomes one of the consequences of learning about your glucose and stabilizing it, but it's really not the main objective nor is it the only thing that happens. Like, as you said, the first thing to come of learning about glucose and blood sugar is just better energy, better mental health, better sleep, fewer cravings, like feeling better about your life, feeling happier. So weight loss is a consequence, but it's not the main thing yes. that we're here for. It's not a diet. Yes, okay, no. great. I actually want to make sure that we said that, but it is important, right? Mm -hmm. How you feel about yourself, yeah. what that message is in your head when yeah. you're looking in the mirror. So we're gonna start with, okay. if you can break down what glucose is, yes. and then we're gonna literally go deep into what people can eat, when they can eat, how they can eat, and then the impact and effects that will have on you. Okay, Lisa, so glucose, what is it? Glucose is your body's preferred energy. Okay, so every single cell in your body, and you have a whole lot of cells in your body, uses glucose for energy. So right now, your hand cells are using glucose to hold your hands together. Your brain cells are using glucose to like, look at me and have this conversation. Your heart cells are using glucose to pump your blood and keep you alive, okay? Every single cell in your body needs glucose. We need glucose to live. And as humans, the main way that we get glucose to our cells is through food. By eating starchy foods like bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, and sweet foods, like literally anything that tastes sweet, from dessert to fruit, okay? So we need glucose and we get it through food. Now, most people will think, okay, if my body needs glucose for energy and I wanna have a ton of energy, I should just eat as much glucose as possible, right? That's yeah. kind of the logical next step. So it turns out this is where the logic totally breaks. It's kind of like a plant. So if I, Jesse, were to give you, Lisa, a plant, and I was like, please take care of this plant for two months, you would know that you need to give the plant a little bit of water for it to survive. But if you gave the plant that I gave you too much water, the plant would die. Mm -hmm. And then I would come back after two months and be like, Lisa, you killed the plant, what the fuck, you know? And the human body is just like that. So the human body needs some glucose for energy. Mm -hmm. But if you give a human body too much glucose, a bunch of bad stuff starts happening. So that is the, that is the first thing to know. You've got to list what the bad things are. Absolutely. Where do I start? Okay. So the most common symptoms of having too much glucose in your body, and by the way, it's estimated about 80% of people who are not diabetic, by the way, have throughout the day, you know, too much glucose coming in. And these cause consequences. So the most common symptoms of having this problem are, you have cravings for sweet foods throughout the day. So it's 11 a.m. and you really wanna eat a cookie. It's 4 p.m. you really want ice cream. You just crave sweet stuff. Second symptom is you're hungry every 90 minutes or two hours. So throughout the day, you're just like, ooh, I need to eat something else. I need to snack. I need to have some more food. That's another very common symptom. Third most common symptom, 
energy crashes. So for most people, it's quite normal to live your day going through these waves of feeling energized and then feeling really drained and exhausted. So those are the three main symptoms, cravings, constant hunger, and energy slumps. Then the other thing is there are many other symptoms of having this glucose spiking thing happening in your body. And they range from things like difficult menopause symptoms to infertility, missed periods, acne, psoriasis, eczema, wrinkles, poor sleep, difficult mental health. I mean, the list goes on and on. Another common symptom is not being able to lose weight when you want to lose weight. So there you have it. Glucose, because it's so important to every single cell in your body, when you're experiencing these glucose spikes, a lot of problems start happening. And often, I think what I see is that when people have these symptoms, you know, if they feel too tired to play with their kids, they have cravings and they feel bad about having the cravings, they feel guilty, they feel ashamed. Like often the symptoms we're experiencing, we kind of mask or we, we just feel bad about the symptoms. When really often what's happening is that these symptoms are your body trying to be like, hey, Lisa, you need to look at your glucose levels. There's some imbalance happening here. And these symptoms are messages. Oh my God, there's so much there. Okay, so the thing that you said right at the end that really freaking hit me was that we feel the shame over the, the, the cravings, yeah. yeah. And so today, going deep into the types of things that we can eat and how we can eat and things yeah. like that is gonna be super important. To that point is that it's not just about the actual food, it's how you actually feel about the food. So when you said that, that really hit me because the amount of women, I think, that feel food shame, um, is crazy and then that dictates what they then go to eat and they may not be fueling their bodies in the right way. So um, that's super powerful. So I'd love to now talk about yeah. them, A, the different types of glucose, which people go, oh, but that's fine, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the kind of the myths, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then what we can start to eat differently and then how. Absolutely. So, you know, let's say 80% of the population after meals, they're delivering too much glucose too quickly to their body. And this is what I call glucose spikes. Okay, so it's just delivering a whole bunch of glucose to your body, too much glucose, and that's causing the problems. And so it's really important for us to learn to avoid these glucose spikes because it makes us feel so much better. And in order to do this, and this is actually something that I learned through my own personal experience, in order to do this, you actually don't have to give up starchy and sweet foods. And this is why this whole thing is a bit like magic because I discovered science that shows us how to eat the foods we love like the starchy and the sweet foods without creating these glucose spikes mm. so without triggering more cravings without harming our energy without harming our physical and mental health so when I first learned about glucose and I dove into all the scientific literature on the topic first of all I was kind of amazed to see all this recent science that was coming out on glucose spikes in people without diabetes. Because I thought, like I think most people, that glucose is something that is only relevant if you have diabetes, mm. right? Blood sugar is only mm. of interest if you have diabetes. So first of all, now we know that's no longer the case. Second, in these scientific studies, I found these really simple principles. For example, the first one I found, and probably my favorite, I have to say, because it's so easy, is eat your food in the right order. So when you're faced with a meal, 
you can actually really change the impact of that meal on your glucose level if you just learn about which food to eat first. Pause there. I need people to actually have that, let that sink in for a second. You can eat exactly the same thing, mm -hmm. exactly the same time of day, same person, same macronutrients, yeah. just by having it in a certain order will impact how your body perceives the sugar and has the glucose spike. Yeah, and how your body responds to it. And That's how much insane. It's insane. And how much stress you're putting on your body, you know? Because you're always trying to balance, okay, mm. like, we want pleasure, we want to eat stuff we love, mm. but we also want to help our health. Mm. So how do we do those two things? So eating your food in the right order is a very easy place to start. So in the studies, it shows us that if we start our meals with our vegetables, and if we end the meal with the starches and the sugars, then we can reduce the glucose spike of the meal by up to 75%. Which is a lot. That's so much. That's a, so 75%. much. 75%. Yeah. So let me give you an example. Let's say your next meal is chicken, broccoli, rice, avocado, and I don't know, a cookie for dessert. Sounds okay. nice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, the correct order to eat this in, to reduce the impact on your glucose levels, is going to be the broccoli first, then the chicken, then the avocado and the rice, and then finally the cookie. Okay, so you're thinking veggies first, so mm -hmm. broccoli first, starches and sugars last, so rice and cookie more towards the end. This is very powerful, and just by doing this for a few days, you can really start feeling an impact because your glucose levels respond like that to how you eat. So if you... Um, identified with any of the symptoms that I talked about earlier, you know, you know the cravings, the fatigue, maybe the hormonal issues, etc. Starting with this hack is an amazingly powerful place to start, to start making your body your friend again. And people ask me, do I have to do this all the time? Like, what about if I'm eating a sandwich? Do I need to decompose the sandwich? <laughs> And I love how you're getting very specific. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> like, they're like, do you need to decompose the sandwich? Like, no. I just want you to know the information that if you start your right. meal with the vegetables, it'll be better for yeah. your glucose, but then it's completely up to you to do it when it's easy. So mm -hmm. if I'm eating a sandwich or if I'm eating like a yogurt bowl with lots of stuff in it, like I'm not going to separate out the ingredients and, and do that whole hack. But when it's easy, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And this is some of the stuff that I share. So it's all about these simple principles, all science backed that I want people to know about so they can then compose with them and use them when it fits into their lives in a very gentle but very powerful way. Mm -hmm. That's so, And that's really what I'm all about and this show is really all about. Yeah. It's like, give the information. Yeah. Like, knowledge is power. And now what you do with it is up to you. Like, if people listen to this episode and they're like, oh my God, that's great. I'm still going to go eat my cake for breakfast. Yeah. Go ham. Like, do your thing. Yeah. Like, if that's the life you want. But it's the people that I know that so many women that watch this show are just like, I can't figure this out. My, I can't get my periods back. Yes. I can't lose the weight. I can't um, have brain clarity. What do I do? It's the feeling lost. Absolutely. And we're lost because we actually don't really know how our body works you know we're bombarded with like diets like fat is evil sugar is evil you know protein is evil like just stop eating everything it's very confusing and it's really just uh, it's a lot of marketing really mm -hmm. so um what i'm hoping to do with my work is like teach people what's actually going on in their body and the reason this food order thing actually works is because there's something happening in your body that's really amazing when you do this and i'm going to tell you a little bit about it and it has to do with sinks and pipes 
So imagine that your stomach is like a sink and your intestine is the pipe below it. When you eat carbs on an empty stomach, so starches and sugars, so when you eat in the wrong order, what happens is that the starch and sugar flows from the sink to the pipe really quickly, uninterrupted, and then it goes into your bloodstream, and then it makes a big glucose spike. The starch and sugars turn to glucose, they flow to the pipe, and then bloodstream, glucose spike, and then lots of symptoms. Now, if you eat your food in the right order, so vegetables first, this is what happens. Vegetables have something in them called fiber. Fiber is amazing. Fiber is like Wonder Woman. I mean, she's just oh, man. she's just now fabulous. You're it really high up on the list. Yes. <laughs> she's just she's just fabulous. Like we love fiber. When you eat fiber first during a meal, what she does is that she's gonna sit on the bottom of your sink mm. and create a sort of like protective little mesh, mm. a protective little barrier. You know, Wonder Woman mm. defends people mm. and stuff. So she's gonna just sit on the bottom of your sink and make this little protective layer. Then when you eat things that contain glucose afterwards, so starches and sugars, instead of flowing straight through from sink to pipe, this fiber protective little layer is gonna slow down how quickly the glucose arrives in your pipe. It's gonna slow down how quickly glucose then gets into your bloodstream. So it's gonna reduce the glucose spike of the meal. You don't have to change what you're eating. Just think about fiber and the fact that she needs to go in first, veggies first. And that will completely change the impact of your meal on your health. Dude, that's so epic. I love the way that you <laughs> break that down. That's so easy to digest. Oh. Uh -huh. I, I know other people make that joke. And it's like, you probably want to slap me in the face at this no, I point. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, that's so helpful. Now, um, I did actually ask you that question earlier, but I kind of derailed us. Um, let's talk about then the different types of glucose because I had a debate with somebody once and I'm not an expert. So let's, guys, I'm not an expert. But my friend turns around to me and he's like, her kids were playing with other kids and one of the mums gave her kid um, a, 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 a soda. Yeah. And she freaked out, like freaked out. She was like, I can't believe they gave my kid all that sugar. Here's a fruit juice. Yeah. And so instead, she basically took the, the soda away and gave the kid the fruit juice. And she's like, can you believe like fruit juice? And I was like, well, to your point that you say in the book, it's all relative for starters, but fruit juice does have a freaking ton of sugar. And we have, there's obviously people that say fruit is, you know, nature's candy and things like that. So I really want to break down mm -hmm. the myth to what it actually does to your body. Because at home right now, again, I'm going to keep going back to, it's the control thing. Is that people are saying, I don't understand what's happening. I'm eating these things and I'm still having a negative effect. Yeah. And I think it is because of the messaging and the understanding of how glucose plays a part in your body, but also the different types of glucose. I love this topic. I think this is one of the most interesting, interesting things to uh, teach people about because it's really, it really blows their mind. So we have this idea in our society that anything that comes from fruit is good for you mm -hmm. and is going to promote health in your body whether it's fruit juice or it's dried fruit or it's a bar that says like, you know, all natural fruit, yada, yada. 
people believe that if it comes from fruit, it is good and you can have as much as you want and it's going to help you feel better. Mm -hmm. That is the core belief that I'm here to debunk. So, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So first of all, we need to learn that the fruit we find today in supermarkets is actually not natural at all. So when you go to the supermarket and you see apples and oranges and bananas, these are actually completely unnatural inventions that have been <laughs> essentially designed by humans and that look nothing like the fruit that nature made millions of years ago. For the past like two, three thousand years, humans have been breeding crops of fruit to make them juicier, sweeter, bigger, and just fuller of sugar. In the same way that we bred, you know, wolves into chihuahuas. <laughs> humans have bred ancestral bananas. I didn't expect you to say that, so you caught me off guard. That was so funny. Humans have bred ancestral bananas into bananas that we see today. And I'm just going to show you an image, yeah. which is in my book, because it's going to give you like a good idea. So this is an ancestral banana, full of fiber, quite small, very difficult to eat, not very appetizing. Like you got to chew on that stuff for a long time. And now below you see modern day bananas. Mm. They look very different. Okay. This is okay because even though the fruit today contains a lot of sugar, Fruit today also contains our favorite superwoman fiber. Okay, so fiber is there. Even though there's a bunch of glucose in fruit, the fiber in the fruit is still going to help you reduce the spike. Mm. The problem arises, Lisa, when we denature that little package of a whole fruit, when we remove the fiber and we concentrate the sugar, when we, fr when we fruit a juice, when we juice a fruit, that's exactly what happens. We throw away the solid part, which is the fiber, and we extract all of the sugar. In that case, that's just a one-way ticket to a massive glucose spike. So stop juicing. Absolutely stop juicing. So a fruit juice is just a massive, massive glucose spike. And so just to make sure that I understand that, is that because then your body doesn't have to break it down because the blender's already done it for you? So, no, actually, the, so in a piece of fruit, you actually have a few different molecules. Molecules being like tiny little tiny things. So you have glucose mm -hmm. and you have fructose. Mm. And fructose is actually way worse for you than glucose. Okay. And it go, it's, it's like glucose's best friend in sweet foods. Mm. So in a, in a fruit juice, you just have these molecules of glucose and fructose floating around. God. They're already broken down. Yeah, like okay. you don't have to do any work. They just go straight through. Okay. Now let's compare orange juice to a Coke. Did you know that actually a can of Coke is a vegetable juice? Because the sugar in Coca-Cola comes from beetroots or from cane, which are, you know, vegetables. So the sugar in the can of Coke also comes from a plant. Mm. Yet we see it very, mm. very differently. We think, ooh, that's bad sugar, but the orange juice is good sugar. They're exactly the same. They both come from plants. They have bone, both been extracted. All the fiber from the beet or the orange juice have been thrown away. And you're left with these two just glasses of sugar. The Coke and the fruit juice have similar impacts on your body. It's not because one comes from an orange and the other one comes from beetroot that they're different. Mm. 
for your health. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc dot com slash lisa and download the zocdoc app for absolutely free then find and book a top rated doctor today that's zocdoc z-o-c-d-o-c dot com slash lisa zocdoc dot com slash lisa as far as I understand, though, the, the good thing, if you had to be in a situation between if it's Coca-Cola or an orange juice, orange juice is better because it's not processed, assuming that it's freshly squeezed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also has vitamins and minerals that a Coke wouldn't. Um, yeah, that's true. So the whole processing thing is um, kind of pointless. Like mm. the fact that the glucose and fructose molecules coming from the beetroot have gone through factories and stuff versus fresh squeezing doesn't make a difference. Your body just takes it as it Absolutely. is. Yeah. The vitamins thing is true. But if I took a can of Coke and put a bunch of vitamins in I it, knew you were going to say that. How would you feel? 
I don't know properly. I know. So, I mean, listen, I just want people to know what this is doing to their body. Yes. If you love fruit juice and you feel amazing and you don't have any health issues, you feel best, your best self, you're living your best life and you have fruit juice every day, I have nothing to teach you. Like, if you're happy, I have nothing to teach you. Mm. But if you're suffering, if there are things in your life that could be better, if you have symptoms and you don't know how to fix them, and you're drinking a lot of fruit juice, start having a look at that because this fruit mm-hmm. juice could be one of the reasons you're having all these glucose spikes and you're suffering. So take it or leave it, you know, but what I find is that actually most people don't feel as best as they would like to. And what pisses me off so much is when I meet people who are suffering, but then they're eating in a way and drinking juice in a way that they think is going to be better for them. They're like, I feel really tired, so I'm going to drink a lot of fruit juice because that's going to give me energy, right? Because like oranges and fruit juice, vitamins, energy. That is why I do what I do, because I want to help people not get into that trap of feeling like shit but wanting to feel better, yet doing things because of marketing and because of you know stuff that they've heard that is making their situation worse. That's where I want to operate. Yeah, that's super powerful. Um, I really want to take some of the things that you've said where it's like we've spoken about, you know, the brain fog and the sleep and then kind of really um, pull that apart and kind of talk about what are the things we can do if I'm suffering from sleep disorder. Um, But I really want to address, though, I dropped it earlier, but I heard in the book you say a really good story about how one of your clients, I believe, or your customers, or I think it was your mum, actually, your mum calls you and your mum's like, hey, so sh- can I eat this? Is this good food? Yeah. If you don't mind explaining that, because we all definitely, including myself, used to label good food, bad food. Yeah. This is the food that you can touch. And anytime you're going to go over here, Lisa, it means that you've fallen off the wagon. Yeah. It means that your cravings, you you don't have control you of your cravings. You don't have willpower. I don't weak. have willpower. The amount of women right now that are like beating themselves up, because I think the message, and you even say it, the message is people look at them, especially if you're overweight, people look at them and say, oh, well, you're overweight because you don't have the willpower. Yeah. But the truth is what they may be doing may be from misinformation, maybe from a myth that they've had in the yeah. past. So let's actually, if you don't mind sharing that story with your mom. I think that's a really, really good one to talk about. Like these labels we put on stuff like this is good, this is failing. This is me being healthy and this is me mm-hmm. failing and being, I should be ashamed of what I'm doing. Yeah, We can actually eat anything we want to eat if we learn how to eat it in a way that has less of an impact on our body. Oftentimes, if we're suffering from like what people call sugar addiction or cravings roller coasters, we're actually eating in a way that is causing that. Mm. So if we fix the underlying issue of fixing you know, our glucose levels, these things usually go away. But back to my mom. So uh, my mom will often send me a photo of a food in a supermarket, like a package of something. And she'll take a photo of the back with the nutrition stuff and she'll be like, good or bad? (laughs) (laughs) And I always answer, mom, it's relative. So let's say she sends me like a packet of, I don't know, like uh, chickpea pasta. She's like, good or bad? I'll respond, it's all relative. Like this is actually, you know, good for your body, for your health, for your glucose compared to, let's say, ice cream or a can of Coke, but it's bad for your glucose compared to a head of broccoli, right? Mm -hmm. So another way to look at this is like, what do I want to eat? I love pasta. Pasta with Parmesan and like a nice little pesto. That's my favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. But when I first learned about glucose, I realized that these pasta dishes were causing me big glucose spikes and were triggering these difficult mental health things in me. 
because I was able to associate, you know, glucose spikes to poor mental health. And you were doing this with a continuous glucose monitor for yeah. people at home that may not know. Yeah. So that's a machine that you basically stab in your arm. I'm obviously being very like as brief as possible, but you stab it in your arm. It stays on you. You basically have an app on your phone where you can track when you eat. It tells you when you have spikes yes. and how your body responds yes. to it. So you have one of these. Yeah. So I could have gone like, ooh, pasta, bad. If I have pasta, I'm failing. I'm being bad, you know. But actually what I was able to, I was able to switch that narrative and be like, okay, I love pasta. Let me learn some techniques and some principles that are gonna allow me to still eat the pasta I love with less of an impact mm. on my glucose and on my health, right? So I'll still get all the pleasure, but I'll minimize the glucose spike. And this is something I love hearing from people. When they send me messages after reading the book and they say, this information has changed my relationship to food. Mm. It has changed my relationship to bad carbs. Mm. Instead of feeling this whole like good food, bad food, now they know if they want to eat a chocolate cake, they can. And in order to do that, they can use some of the tips in my book. For example, eat it as desserts instead of on an empty stomach. Use your muscles afterwards. Have some vinegar before. So you can have all the pleasure, but you also know that you're helping your body do better and you're helping your health improve at the same time. And that's such a beautiful state to be in because you feel like, okay, my body is now my partner. Like, yeah, body, I'm gonna have a bunch of pasta and chocolate tonight, but don't worry, I got you. <laughs> I'm gonna bring some fiber in. I'm gonna do some other stuff so I can help you thrive. And it becomes this partnership. It's so powerful because I'm with you like, oh God, like food shaming and body dysmorphia and unhealthy relationship with food. Like there's so many of us, I had an unhealthy relationship food growing up as well so it's so powerful to think like that yeah it's so empowering it's so uh, motivating as well to know like I don't feel lost and that there's something I can do about it so let's say I'd love to take a couple of like main almost staple items that people can then like maybe even replace them with so you said smoothies earlier a lot of people wake up and have a smoothie for breakfast yeah. What is one thing that maybe people can switch out where they're like their body? So they ask themselves, I love the technique. What do you actually want? Ah, oh, I want a smoothie. Something that tastes, it's refreshing, it's, it's cold, sweet. it's sweet. I feel full after. Yeah. What can someone do instead of that? So they can still have a smoothie. Okay. But the question is, what is in the smoothie? Okay, so in order to have mm. a breakfast smoothie that doesn't create a big glucose spike, the main thing to remember is make sure your, your smoothie is not 100% fruit. That your smoothie has some protein in it, maybe mm. some protein powder. Mm. It has some fat and some fiber, maybe some nuts, maybe you throw in some almond butter in there. If you're buying the smoothie already made and you can't change what's inside, maybe before the smoothie you have something else. For example, a couple of eggs. For example, like a few veggies left over from the night before. You know, those small tweaks can make a big difference. And actually breakfast, it's quite remarkable. So the, the shape of your breakfast's glucose spike is going to control your entire day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you have a big glucose spike at breakfast, science shows us that your entire day is going to be this glucose mm. roller coaster. Science shows us that you're going to be hungrier faster again. So at 10.30 a.m. you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm famished, I need to snack. If you are able to reduce that glucose spike from your breakfast, your entire day changes. So in the book, what I, my, my main breakfast hack, I would say, is called have a savory breakfast instead of a sweet one. This radically changes your day. 
And if there's something that you have at breakfast that you love and that's really sweet, have it after a savory breakfast. As I'm learning and as I was reading your book and as I'm sitting here with you, it's so interesting how so many past things that I've done are going, oh, that's why. Mm. I absolutely used to start my day with a shake. It was normally a lot of protein, like fruits. Uh, I uh, put some fruit in it sometimes. But just kind of thinking about how you end up eating and not realizing what that does to the long term yeah. is very powerful. Yeah. Um, one of the things you also talked about, and you mentioned it earlier, was how we often focus on calories yeah. and it was the myth that it's calories in calories out and every calorie is your body treats it equal so yeah. just reduce your calories and run and you'll be fine i love this topic you're just hitting like all my favorite <laughs> it's subjects. all the stuff i'm obsessed with perfect. i'm like they've been tricking us all this time perfect okay so calories so let's keep in mind that calories are a measure of essentially quantity or amounts that you're eating so you know calories matter in the sense that they're a useful metric. So if I was to compare, let's say, a thousand calories of chocolate cake versus 10,000 calories of chocolate cake, there is a difference there, okay? The 10,000 calories of chocolate cake are gonna have more impact on your body than just a thousand calories. So I just wanna ground everybody in that. Like that's Thanks. still an important way to measure quantity. Right. The problem with calories, Lisa, is that the amount of calories in something tells you nothing about what the food is going to do to your body. It tells you nothing about whether this food is gonna help you feel better mm. or feel worse. Mm -hmm. It tells you nothing about whether this food is gonna make you feel fuller, make you have more energy, or make you hungry again in 90 minutes and make you exhausted. So that's really the big, big problem. And if we focus just on calories, we are actually forgetting an important piece of the puzzle, which is, what's inside the food. So let's say, you know, you're trying to lose weight and you've heard that to lose weight, you should just cut out calories. So you go from eating X calories to, you know, Y calories. If in that process of reducing calories, you're still eating in a way that spikes your glucose levels all the time, you're gonna have the worst time ever. You're gonna be hungry constantly. Your energy is gonna be awful. Mm. You're actually gonna be inflaming your body. You're gonna be aging faster because of all the glucose spikes. You're gonna be triggering insulin in your body. You're just gonna have a really bad time. And it's gonna be quite difficult for you to lose weight or even to keep up this crazy diet that makes you feel like absolute crap. Mm. Another way to think about this is, what if we focus on reducing our glucose spikes, okay? What if we focus on eating in a way that keeps our glucose levels steadier? So that reduces cravings, that reduces hunger, that gives us more energy, that puts our body into fat burning mode for longer because that's what happens when you reduce your glucose spikes. What if we do this and in all of our hormones become rebalanced, our mental health gets better, we're happier. Well then a very common consequence of that is that you will lose fat and it will be effortless and it'll be easy and it'll be a consequence of your health getting better. And that's really where you wanna be. You can have two very different experiences. Uh, one being you're just cutting calories and feeling like crap because you're still eating and making this glucose roller coaster. The other one being you're using the hacks, your glucose level steadies, your body gets back to homeostasis, your body you know, gets back to a thriving place and then your fat just kind of comes off as a consequence. All right, I'm gonna lean in because this is yeah. so important. Dude, this is so powerful. 
because I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone. Okay. So people know I've spoken very openly about the fact that I had uh, I grew up with a very bad relationship with food. I saw it growing up, so I thought, oh, in order to be liked, in order to be accepted, I have yeah. to be as skinny as possible. So let me try and narrow my food as much as possible. I got to the point where I was counting every bite, every single bite, and I got my guys. Please, this is not a thing that you need to do. I'm just saying that I did this, and this is why it's so bad. That's why I'm sharing this story. I got myself down to I was eating a thousand calories. I tried to go under a thousand calories because I was like, there's nothing else to cut out. I was like, I'm trying to lose weight. I feel like I've cut out everything. Like I'm counting, do I have this egg white or not? Do I have this side of green beans or not? That was how bad my mindset was. And to your point, I was just counting the calories. And then what would I do the very next day? If I had something like it was like, oh my, I had two sugar-free popsicles instead of one sugar-free. The next day I would wake up, I'd beat myself up and I would freaking be that person running on the treadmill trying to burn as many calories as possible because I ate a little more than I should have, quote-unquote, the day before. Cut to my gut falls apart, surprise, surprise. I have struggled a lot, many years with bad gut issues because I treated it so badly. I am now at the stage now where I've thrown weight, uh, um, scales away I don't ever weigh myself. I don't weigh my food. I eat probably four times as much as I used to. I literally, I'm probably in the two, three thousand range of calories. Yeah. Of ca- I don't count. I'm just like, oh, I'm hungry. I'll eat a tub of olives. Like if that's what I'm crave or if that's what I want. But I don't count. I don't weigh myself and I've never felt as good. I've never looked as good. Like literally my husband's like, you look better than ever. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't focus on it anymore. I focus on what am I eating and does this feel good? Yes or no. And sometimes I'm like, I want a freaking cookie. Sometimes I want a cake. Now here's the thing, it then bothers my gut, but I know the consequence. So that's why I'm really... Congratulations, by the way, on going through that whole cycle and getting yourself, you know, through that. Thank you. Here's the other thing. Mm -hmm. I'm still on the journey Mm -hmm. because there are moments where I'm like, oh my God, you've eaten like a... You've eaten so much, Lisa. And that old habit jumps in that says, oh, that must be bad because you've eaten a lot. So even now, after years and years and years of working on my mindset, working on my body, working on my body-mind connection, that little voice still sometimes to creep back. And I just have to remind myself how I feel. How do you feel? And so that's, again, why, why your book is so powerful, why everything we're talking about today is so powerful because it's all about How are you feeling? And what yes. are the things that are getting in our way to feel like that? So I really wanted to talk to you about the calories in, calories out, because I spent so long sitting there counting, calculating. And then the other thing, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember like if it, fit your, if it fits your macros, which meant that all foods are equal. All you have to do is look at how many calories you're having. Mm. And so we did this whole thing at Quest where I did the show and I said, look guys, 100 calories of chicken, does your body doesn't perceive it the same as 100 calories of chocolate cake. Yeah. We got so much hate. So, I mean, we were told we were food shaming people, oh. that we were um, giving the wrong message and how could we, we were triggering people. And in that moment, I just thought, don't people want to know the truth? There are ways to do it, 100%. I never want to food shame or trigger. But I think it's 
doing them a disservice to pretend that all foods are equal. And now we know that what you're saying is true, right? Yeah. But you were probably one of the earlier people to talk about that. And so there was a lot of backlash. Also, the food industry is built on making you believe that calories are all that matters. I grew up watching my mother eat Special K for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And on the box, it said only 110 calories. Mm -hmm. And she was eating that probably because she thought, oh, well, the calorie thing is, is a signal of like, you know, this is good for me. It's not too high in calories. Yeah. But actually on the inside, she was just messing up her health, feeling awful, affecting her mental health, her energy. I mean, everything. So, yeah. but the calories thing is an easy thing for the food industry to hide, to hide behind because they say 100 calories of Coke, 100 calories of broccoli. It's the same. You know, if you don't feel good about yourself, just eat less, exercise more for them. It's really practical, but we know this is all just a big lie. Mm -hmm. So if you're, let's say, because this is another thing I know, people often replace their meals with a dessert because they're like, well, I want a dessert. So I'm going to substitute a main meal for a dessert and now it's basically equaled ah, out. Well, ooh, okay. If you want the cake, is it better to still eat the lunch and then eat the cake or is it actually better to not eat lunch? Oh my God, no, it's way better to have the lunch and the cake and this is why and actually it's funny because it's another one of my hacks in my book it's if you want to eat something sweet have it as dessert after a main meal not on an empty stomach mm. and the reason for that is if you eat the cake on an empty stomach what's going to happen you're going to create a big glucose spike because the starch and the sugar mm -hmm. there's no fiber there there's nothing to slow it down straight to your bloodstream there it creates a big glucose spike and then the bigger the spike the bigger the drop creates a big glucose drop. And we know because we've put people, well, we scientists have put people in fMRI scanners and have looked at their brains. We know that when your glucose levels are low, there is literally a place in your brain that is in charge of cravings. And when your glucose levels are low, that area of your brain activates and tells you, Lisa, Lisa, eat something else, make it sweet. So if you eat the cake on an empty stomach, you're creating this spike, you're creating this drop, you're activating cravings, and you're starting this sugar addiction roller coaster. And then all day, you're gonna want more stuff. You're gonna wanna eat more sugar. Some people will give in, some people will like, use all their willpower and strength to not do it, but odds are you're gonna end up eating more sweet stuff. Now, if you have the cake after lunch, you still have the pleasure of the cake, right? Because pleasure is so important. Like, I love cake, okay? Mm -hmm. So you still get the pleasure of the cake. And, and if I can choose, it'll be a chocolate cake with chocolate icing and chocolate sauce and chocolate sprinkles. <laughs> am, I, am I seeing a bit of a theme here? No, no. So if you have it after a meal, you're still getting the pleasure, mm. but you're not getting the glucose spike. Mm. Because of all the other food in your stomach and the fiber and the protein and the fat, the molecules, well, the glucose from the chocolate cake, are not going to make a big spike. They're going to arrive real slow. They're actually going to be, some of them are not even going to make it through to your bloodstream because of the fiber protection. So no glucose spike. So you're getting the pleasure, but you're not starting this addiction roller coaster. And that is just such a powerful place to be. It's like, I had this cake. It was amazing. I helped my body as I was doing it because I didn't create a glucose spike. Um, and I don't want something else that's sweet in two hours. And I don't have that cycle of shame and guilt and blah, 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 because I know I ate it in a way that helped my body, that helped my physical and my mental health. Mm, I love that. As I'm reading your book, honestly, I, I laughed out loud at one point because I'm the person that because of my gut issues and stuff, 
I make, I have healthy desserts, right? And quote unquote healthy. So I'm like, it's with coconut sugar. It's, and then as you're going in your book, you're like, look, sugar is sugar. Yeah. So when and I'm like, God damn you, you know, because I keep telling my husband, babe, it's a healthy cookie, <laughs> you know. Um, now my body actually, because I've gotten to know exactly, like I've been like you, I've just biohacked myself with a continuous glucose monitor. So I've kind of like, at least like monitored and kind of seen my own, not to your extent of yours, but I do feel like my body prefers like coconut sugar to cane sugar, but I've always labeled it as healthier. If you don't mind talking through that, um, the myths of what we all believe of sugars and then how we use that in our lives to feel better or not nix the cravings, nix the cravings. So if we're going to eat sugar, anything sweet, whether it's like white sugar, brown sugar, coconut sugar, honey, agave, maple syrup, whatever, this is a decision that you should be making for pleasure. Like, what is the sugar I most enjoy? What is the sugar my body works best with? Maybe coconut sugar for you. When we eat sugar, it's a pleasure thing. All sugars are equivalent. They're all glucose and fructose molecules. Your body does not respond differently, whether the sugar is from a coconut or is from a cane. Like, it doesn't make a difference. The coconut sugar and the regular sugar are the same molecules. So it's really just pick the one you prefer Use the hacks that I shared to minimize the glucose spike, and that'll get you to a much better place. Now, there's a lot of myths around like agave and honey, and people think that those are healthier options. Mm. Um, and it's really just a marketing thing. That's it. So actually, agave and honey both have more fructose than table sugar. And I mentioned this earlier, but what you have to remember is like fructose is actually worse for you than glucose. And so technically, from... A biological perspective, agave and honey are worse for your body than table sugar. Then people will say, oh, but what about the antioxidants in honey? Yes, there are some antioxidants in honey. However, if you're looking for antioxidants, it's really not the place to look. You can find as many antioxidants as there are in a tablespoon of honey in half a blueberry. So half a blueberry contains as many antioxidants Whoa. as a tablespoon of honey. Yeah. And the half of the blueberry doesn't come with a big glucose spike. Half a blueberry. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. And thank you for that because I always want to address the thing that we use to quote unquote justify. Oh, but it's got this. Yeah. But when you actually look at what that means, oh, just eat half a blueberry exactly. with exactly. your cane sugar and you're good. And so if you love honey and it makes you happy, like have it. There's mm. no problem. Mm. But I just want you to know that it's not something that is going to promote the health of your body and your mm. mind it's something that we do for pleasure it's a pleasure decision and uh, but that's totally fine to mm. make decisions around pleasure and to eat stuff we like we don't have to make every decision about health you know um, but mm. i just want people to know what they're doing and what's actually happening and so when we eat sugar whether it's coconut sugar or honey or whatever use some of the principles in my book you know maybe like use your muscles afterwards or don't have it on an empty stomach have some vinegar before don't have it for breakfast etc just so you can still have all the pleasure but you're minimizing the glucose spike. And if you are listening to this and you're somebody who doesn't feel as good as they want to feel, then it's important to start looking at this and start using these principles to try to get your health in a better place. Mm. Okay, we keep teasing the vinegar. We're not going <laughs> to say it yet because it's so good. We're yeah. going to leave it for a bit longer. But let's talk about the movement part because, again, I kind of dismissed it a lot. And then it's just more now 
the more I hear people talking about it. And to be honest, the more I think about my ancestors. So I'm Greek. And so the thing was, everybody would eat and then you'd go for a walk. Really? All my cousins did it. All my aunties did it. My grandparents used to do it. It was like you eat. The, well, in fact, the truth was the women cleaned the dishes and the men got up and did a stroll around the village. So you see, this fascinates me because there's another thing um, in India. There's a tradition of 100 uh, steps after dinner. 100 steps is not a lot, but it's just like a, a, <laughs> a turn of words. And there's also a tradition of walking after eating. And a lot of the principles that I share in my book and that are now understood from a scientific perspective around how they work have actually been in cultures for a very long time. Mm. So think about like the veggies first kind of thing. In Europe, that's something that we've done for a very long time. You know, in Italy, it's antipasti. In France, it's crudité. Mm. Uh, in the Middle East, you have herbs at the beginning of a meal. The walking thing is everywhere. I'm learning more and more about it. So your muscles are super cool and they need energy. And as I mentioned, every single cell in your body uses glucose for energy. And it's the same for your muscle cells. So as I'm sitting here, you know, my muscle cells are not using a lot of glucose. But if we got up and went for a run, like our muscles would become very heavy consumers, very heavy burners of glucose. And the first place that our muscles look for glucose is actually in our bloodstream. So we can use this to our advantage to reduce the glucose spike of a meal. Here's what to do. After eating, within an hour and a half after the end of a meal, so it doesn't have to be right away, get up and use your muscles for 10 minutes. Maybe it's walking. Actually, doing the dishes really works too. <laughs> totally fine. Um, you can dance in your living room. You can walk your dog. You can fold your laundry, whatever. You can hold a plank, like whatever you want to do. <laughs> But use your muscles for 10 minutes because as you do this, your muscles will soak up some of the glucose arriving in your blood from the meal you just had. And as a result, we'll reduce the glucose spike. So we'll reduce inflammation, we'll reduce aging, we'll reduce insulin release, we'll reduce creating a cravings roller coaster, we'll improve your energy, we'll help you feel better and thrive. Super simple, very powerful. You can do it with friends, with your family. You can have a whole movement going. I love that. And it's not about burning the calories, right? No, it's no, about. No. The glucose spike yeah. by using your muscles, it reduces. It's fascinating. And you're going to be sitting with Tom soon, so I'm sure he's going to tell you the story, but I'm going to jump to it before he does. Um, when we sit down and we're like having a dessert or something, he started to notice he was getting the jitters yeah. from the sugar spike. Glucose spike. And so what he started to do is squats. Yeah. And he was like, babe, if I do 10 squats three times after he's in the sugar, he goes, I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean... When I was running a glucose monitor, maybe we can go into that yeah, too. Yeah, please, actually. I saw that really powerfully, like the impact of using your muscles when you're having a glucose spike. Do you mind actually, yeah, if you don't yeah, mind actually about sharing. It. And actually, give us a little background. We haven't even touched on yeah. this, of how you even started mm -hmm. to monitor your glucose yeah. levels. So um, up until the age of 19, I was living a pretty happy life. Like I didn't have any issues, physical or mental. I felt pretty good. But then at the age of 19, I had a freak accident. I jumped off a waterfall and I broke my back. So one of my vertebrae like exploded under the pressure. Because you were supposed to go feet first, but then you actually went butt first. Exactly. Exactly. So one of my vertebrae exploded. I had very intense surgery. Yeah. I suffered a lot physically and mentally starting from that point in my life. Like my life just completely flipped, you know, into this 
really dark world of like, I feel horrible. I don't feel in my body. My mental health has gone into the toilet. Like everything got really dark really quickly. So at that young age, I discovered, well, I, I realized, I would say, that if I didn't have my health, I had nothing. Like my health was the most important thing, the most precious thing I had. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go on a journey to figure out how to reconnect with my body because I felt completely confused, cut off. Like, how do I take care of this? How do I feel good in the morning? I was clueless. So I went to study biochemistry to learn about the inside of the As body. As you do. As you do. <laughs> so I did that in grad school. And then I uh, moved to San Francisco and I worked in Silicon Valley in health tech for five years. Still trying to learn things, but nothing was really helping me. And then because I was in Silicon Valley and because there it's very common to like test new technologies or just to kind of try devices and things. I had the opportunity to wear a continuous glucose monitor for the first time. So these are devices that have been designed for people with diabetes. They're a medical device. Mm -hmm. And um, you put them on the back of your arm and you apply them, they last two weeks. And they measure your glucose levels, your blood sugar levels in real time. And they send the data to your phone. And for me, Lisa, like this was life-changing because I was finally able to see what was happening underneath my skin. I had opened like a channel of communication with my body. So that was amazing. And then second thing that was amazing is that one day I started feeling one of these mental health episodes I was having mm. coming on. I started to feel like I was leaving my body really anxious, like brain fog, crazy stuff. And I scanned my glucose monitor. And there I saw a massive glucose spike. This gave me a clue. This told me that my glucose was actually impacting how I was feeling in my mental health. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. But all of that you did through assessing yourself. Yeah, I mean... The way it was working was I would find a scientific paper that said like food order is powerful or movement is powerful. And then I would test it on myself and say like, oh, yeah, it's really helping. And I would see on my own glucose data the effect. And then I don't know why, but I thought, hey, I want to share this with the world. And at that point, I was just me in my living room with my cat. And, you know, I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have a book. I was just like, this is so important. Why is nobody talking about this? So I decided at 
I made a choice in that moment of I'm going to try and bring this information to people, bring this very recent science to the world and people who need it. Because when you learn about this stuff, it really is transformative and we should all care about it because most of us are experiencing these glucose spikes and they are causing us symptoms and pain and suffering. So what I did is I started printing out the scientific papers and I was like, as sexy as that is, so sexy. <laughs> and so I would print out the paper and bring them to my friends and be like, Thomas, look, like this paper is so cool and you should eat your food in the right order. As you can imagine, they were like, okay, Jesse, yeah, whatever. I was like, no, it's really important. Like, and I found that I had a marketing issue. I was like, how do I make this exciting for people to learn about? And then I had the idea. I thought I'm going to use glucose curves from my own body to illustrate the scientific papers. So for example, for the scientific paper about food order, I'm going to eat two meals, one in the right order, one in the wrong order, same foods, and show the spike difference. And then I would show that to people and that got their attention. And then people became interested. So I had figured out how to translate the hard science into something that people could connect to. And that was the beginning of everything. And now, you know, I don't think people need to wear a glucose monitor, actually. Like, I think that learning about the science and seeing it working on my body mm. is enough to help you heal, especially because the glucose monitors today are not really adapted to the mass market, like to regular people. They're medical devices. The data is hard to understand. I don't think it's time for people to just everybody slap on a glucose monitor yet. Really? I no. find it so fascinating mm -hmm. that I kind of was just biohacking myself. And a big part of it, I think, was, this is fascinating. I wonder if you felt like this. I didn't know if I could trust my body, um. which is stupid because I should trust my body. But I remember having multiple discussions with my husband when I was having gut issues. It's like, you know, I know this sounds really weird, but when I stop eating, like if I had my last bite accidentally yesterday at 4 p.m., I wake up and I feel great. And it's like, but it doesn't make sense because at the time I believed you're supposed to have six meals a day. Oof. So this is going back to, I believed a certain thing. I was told something, yeah. I blindly followed it. And then when my body was saying, actually, and I'm just like, but it doesn't make sense. So I would ignore it. So over time, even though your body is so wise body, yes. and it was trying to tell you yes. something. Yeah. And like, or I would say to my husband, you know, babe, I, quantity makes a difference. Like if, if I ate just all protein and I just had a whole bucket of protein, I don't feel as good as if I had a small bit of protein, a small bit of carbs, a small bit of vegetables. But at the time I believe protein was like the yeah. king. So the, the, the biohacking and the, the glucose monitor for me was actually a way to say, to allow me to trust my body okay, again. And so it became this beautiful thing. It's like, oh, see? So your body's actually showing yeah. you that that spike, you actually had the spike. Or I was waking up in the middle of the night and I was always tired and I mm. didn't actually realize I was waking up in the middle of the night. So I wore an aura ring, I wore a glucose monitor and I started to see the pattern between the spikes of me waking up when I didn't realize, because you know sometimes in the middle of the night you're, you then fall straight back to sleep. So you may not realize that you've woken up. I looked at my aura ring. It showed that I was waking up maybe two times. I then took my glucose monitor and realized I was getting a plummet. I was basically crashing in the middle of the night. So I started to notice if I had a bit of carbs at the end of the evening with my dinner, because normally I wouldn't have carbs in the dinner. I would try and have carbs earlier on. If I didn't, if I had a bit of carbs in the evening, it actually helped me through the night. Oh, that's fascinating. That's really, really cool. Amazing.
So um, in talking about when I have certain types of carbs in certain parts of the day, what is your thoughts on that? And then again, going back to the types of carbs, because I yeah. think right now, I think people understand, right? We've broken down the t different types of like glucose, right? You've got like, and the different sources, but is there one, and I know, I don't want to say one's bad, but is there a more preferable type of yeah. carb source, things like that, that if you're going to take one, this is Absolutely. the and then the time of day. Yeah, so it's always better to eat something starchy than to eat something sweet. If you have the choice between, let's say, like, I don't know, like uh, pasta or ice cream. So starches are? Pasta, bread, rice, potatoes, things that are starchy. Yeah. Um, those contain glucose, but sweet foods also contain glucose. So you might think they're equivalent, but again, sweet foods contain fructose, mm -hmm. whereas starches do not. Got it. So if you have the choice, it's always better to eat something starchy than something sweet. Both contain glucose, but again, the sweet stuff has fructose, so it's just way worse. Then, of course, if you can have starch in its, you know, full natural form like if you can have a potato that's going to be better than having for example like a refined piece of white bread that's going to be stripped of more of its fiber and it's like because it's been mesh. refined versus something that is just purely grown plucked yeah. and then you eat it but to be honest like they're both starch they're both gonna deliver a lot of glucose to your body for me i don't like saying like good and bad carbs i like the distinction between starches and sugars okay starches are better Perfect. but within the world of like pasta rice yeah. quinoa couscous, bread, mm -hmm. potato, whatever, uh, tapioca, they're all kind of the same. They're just big packets of glucose. What matters is putting clothing on them. So to not eat those carbs naked, that's another hack in my book. So when you're gonna have carbs, starches or sugars, by the way, the most important thing you can do is add other things to it. Mm. So have the bread with some avocado on it or some nut butter on it. You know, have the pasta with an egg and some spinach. Like add clothing to that. Add the protein, fat and fiber. That'll reduce the spike. Same thing for sweet foods. Like add some Greek yogurt, add some nuts, you know. Just make sure there's other things in there to balance the meal and balance the, the glucose spike. Then in terms of timing, so I think... Um, for you, the sleeping thing. So we know that if we eat some carbohydrates or some glucose at dinner time, it actually helps our body make melatonin. And melatonin is the sleep-inducer hormone. You know, when you're jet-lagged, you might take some melatonin to get you back into the sleep cycle. Your body naturally produces it. And eating some glucose beforehand is actually going to help you produce it in a, in a better way and in a more efficient way. So if you have sleep issues definitely adding a little bit of carbs at dinner could definitely really, really help. Then in terms of timing... And just to kind of emphasize that a little bit of carbs, you're not saying go eat a whole potato and then go straight to bed. It's up to you to figure out what works. You know, I think most people eat carbs at dinner. I love eating carbs at dinner. It makes me feel like more like I can kind of sleep But like, now. do you go to bed immediately? No, oh, no, you, no that's no, what no, I mean. No, yeah, no, no. You can have it, you know, at dinner time. You don't have to do like, okay, I'm in bed, potato, and I'm out. I just don't want people to think like it's a sleep aid. Like, no, let me eat a potato. No, 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 no. Like, or, like during dinner. I can have fries, but like French fries right before bed because Jesse told me it increases melatonin. So, no, during your dinner, like if you have sleep issues, and, and if you have sleep issues, and if for some reason you do not eat carbs at dinner at all, consider adding a little bit of them and see if it makes a mm. difference. I think that's kind of the message. Then in terms of like what time of day is better to eat things that contain glucose, 
that is less important than how you're eating the food, with what out of food, in which order, whether you're moving afterwards. Like those are much more powerful mm. than trying to isolate like, oh, it's better to eat ice cream at 4 p.m. than at 10 a.m. Like actually, it matters more the context of the food and what else you're doing and if you're applying the principles. And what about fasting then? Is that yeah. the same type of thing? Like depending on how you feel? Or? I think for fasting, listening to your body is the most important thing. There's been this huge trend around everybody should do intermittent fasting. It's really important for health, etc. Most of the studies showing the impact of fasting have been done in men. And mm. for men, it actually seems to be really quite good. For females, especially pre-menopause, fasting can really interfere with your hormones. Mm. Fasting a lot, I mean, you know, fasting for like 18 hours a day. That can actually be interfering with your hormones. It can be a stressor on your body. So really just like try to be in tune with, is this adding stress? Is this really making me feel better? Mm. Especially because these days we add so many stressors. We do high intensity cardio. We do saunas. We do cold showers. We don't sleep a lot. We drink coffee. We like have stress from work. And if on top of that, you're adding fasting, that's a lot of stress for your body to handle. I'm getting stressed just hearing you yes. that stuff. <laughs> so it is good to fast overnight. Mm. And we know that, for example, eating three meals a day is better than eating six meals a day. But whether or not you take that to a more extreme place of doing like 16-hour fasts every day, that's not necessary to, you know, steady your glucose levels and feel better. It's a personal decision, I think. I wasn't sure if, because um, I do intermittent fasting. Yeah. I, I did it deliberately because I felt, oh, I heard all the, the studies. It's like, well, I'm going to try this because I love trying everything just to see how I feel. And so I tried it um, and it was really hard at first. And then over time, I just stopped counting because, I again, I get a little obsessed. Yeah. So I had like an app on my phone that was counting how many hours I was fasting for. And I was literally sitting there like chewing my last bite. Oh, yeah. And then starting my fasting time because I kind of like to gamify. And then I realized, oh, I'm not listening to my body anymore. Yeah. In just stopping and just listening to my body around 16 hours is wonderful for Great. me. But the biggest key for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, was stopping eating three hours before bed. That makes me feel so much better too. Like it is just night and day. If I eat late before going to bed, like we know that actually decreases deep sleep to do that. Mm. So that's a game changer. That's a so game changer. So it decreases changer. deep sleep if you eat right before bed. Yeah, and it makes you feel less rested. Yeah. Especially if your dinner creates a glucose spike. But it's hard for me because I love eating like when it's cozy and it's nighttime and I watch a little Netflix and I have a little dinner and, you know, it's like one hour before I go to bed. Mm. So it's hard to do that all the time. But I also feel so much better when I do. Yeah. For anyone listening that has gut issues, I, for one whole year, a whole year, I made sure my last bite, I didn't go to bed with less than three hours. Wow. So if I was on vacation <sighs> and me and my husband went out for dinner and it was like 9, 10 p.m., we would stay up for three hours. If we end up, our last meal was at 11 p.m., we would stay up for three hours. And God bless that man. For a whole year, he stayed up with me. So I'd be like, it'd be like 1 a.m. and I'm falling asleep. He's like, he'd wake me up, babe, babe, babe. It hasn't been three hours yet because it impacted me that much. And why did you stop? Um, I noticed that my gut had healed a lot. And so in healing, I could actually digest food. And so I didn't yeah. wake up as like groggy or feeling like brain fog, brain fog. Yeah. I felt really uncomfortable. Like I actually would wake up with stomach pain and I'd be like, I haven't eaten anything. How have mm. I got stomach pain? But then in everything we're talking about here, all the research that I've done, all the biohacking, yeah. 
I started to like understand, oh, well, your, your digestion slows down while you're sleeping because your body can't function at the rate it can while it's awake. The mm. whole point is that it's rebooting itself in essence. Absolutely. When you sleep, so think about it's rebooting my gut. Now think about if there's a bunch of food stuck in my pipes, if you will, yeah. um, it can't clear it out. And Lisa, let me, let me ask you something. Like if you, you know, used to get really fixated on like calories and fasting windows, did wearing a glucose monitor not make you feel obsessed with the glucose data? So this is very interesting. It's one of these, as I started to evolve, I think just like a lot of people, you convince yourself that that's a bad habit, this is a good habit. And so what I did is I convinced myself, well, this is a good habit. I'm working on getting myself better. But then again, of course, you're 100% right. I started to notice, hang on a minute, I'm becoming obsessive. Mm. This obsessiveness has just gone from calorie counting to now fasting counting or to glucose counting, which is why I don't now wear a glucose monitor because I can only do it for a certain period of time because then it's the, it's the blessing and the curse of my personality. Mm. It's that when I set my mind to something, I'm going to fucking get there no matter <laughs> what. You better fucking believe it. Right, like rid of teeth and everything. <laughs> But then I do realize my own behavior becomes detrimental. So that was where I was like, oh, okay, cool. I've got to get rid of this app on my phone. I can no longer track my fasting. It's amazing that you have the clarity and the awareness to be able to do that. Thank you. It's been, a, and I really hope that people at home also hear that it's just been a long journey. Absolutely. And it's been the fact that I failed. It's been the fact that I've messed up and eaten the wrong things that I thought were great. And I just go, oh, okay, it's okay. It's part of the evolution, which is why I'm so obsessed with having like someone like yourself on the show, have like talking about this book because even now, right, guaranteed, guaranteed in five years, me and you, homie, we're going to look back at this interview and go, oh my God, I can't believe we thought I that. Know. But it's all about science. And it's like, what is the science currently telling you? So back in the day when my mum was drinking a slim fast shake because she was told that's what was good for you. Mm. It's like, now you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you drank slim fast. But that's, that's all we knew. Absolutely. And it's, you have to stay flexible because science evolves really quickly. Yeah. I mean, not that long ago, we didn't know DNA existed. I mean, so I can bet that in a hundred years, we're going to know way more things that we have no idea about now. So we have to like remove the ego from it and be like, this is what we know now. Like this is the cutting edge of now. Everybody should know about it. And then maybe things will evolve. Maybe they won't. We don't know. Right. But you should learn about this. Yeah. I mean, as you know, right, back in the day, fat's bad for you. It's just bad marketing. It's literally always says they had bad marketing because as soon as you say the word fat, people just associate, oh, if I eat fat, I'm going to get fat. Yeah. And so the fat ended up, people stopped having it, which obviously, as we know now, is actually the wrong thing to do. And fat can be amazing. Like, that's another thing. I went very hard on keto. Again, I like went hard and then like, yeah. um, then figured out what was right for me. And I still very much now eat a very high fat diet. Yeah. And then, you know, I did the whole shebang too, right? When I was a late teen, I went vegan because I thought, you know, I read the China study and I was like, oh my God, you know, that book. And I was like, oh, everybody, I need to be vegan for my health. And then... I became really, really just sad and I got a bunch of pimples and I was like, oh, maybe vegan is not right for me. Because what were you eating? You say in your Oh book. yeah, because I was eating pasta and Oreos because they were vegan, right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> because when you're so fixed on a dogma like this, yeah, yeah. you can abuse it so easily. Yeah. And then I went keto. But again, like I was just eating like basically cheese nonstop. You know, I wasn't even having any vegetables. And again, like my period stopped on keto. I was like, whew, wish, wash, wish, wash just following blindly these things that I thought were going to help me when actually the solution is to understand the underlying biology mm, of your body mm. and then adapt it. So what I share can be adapted to any kind of dietary preference. Maybe you are vegan. 
maybe you're gluten-free, maybe you're whatever X, Y, Z. These principles you can apply to whatever your life is. And in the book, I have uh, many stories of people with different types of diets from different cultures, different countries, different ages, different diseases who have used the hacks to solve whatever problem they were facing. This is not a diet. This is like as basic as you should be drinking water every day and getting some sunlight. That's where I believe this is living. Mm. You know, it's just fundamental understanding of how to help your body function its best. And you also do a great job of breaking down the myths um, with no judgment, which I very much appreciate. Um, people at home may not have even known that, oh my God, that's a myth. Mm. I've been doing that and no wonder I, you know, still feel badly about myself. I still feel groggy. I still have brain fog. I still can't lose the weight, all of this stuff. Um, so even like the same with fat, there were certain things that I used to believe that now in just not taking on the myth, I've allowed myself to figure out. Absolutely. So like olives, olive, I drench my food in olive oil. Again, going back to, I was the person with a quarter of a teaspoon oh, yeah. and I was measuring out my olive oil. That's how bad I was. Now I'm like, yeah. like literally, is there enough olive oil? I was like using half the bottle. Um, because I've realized, oh my God, when I have olive oil, my stomach feels great. Mm. I wait, my skin is amazing. Um, but if you believe that fat's bad, you're never going to try the olive oil. Absolutely. And so you, there's all these myths, you know, but then also there is a, um, a possibility for people to become too focused on one thing. Like mm. actually in the introduction of the book, I say glucose is not everything. It's a very important piece of the puzzle. Mm. Most of us have glucose spikes and we should learn to fix them, but glucose is not everything. It's also important to look at your emotional health, at your sleep, at medical care, at you know the types of fats you're eating, at alcohol. I mean, this is one good way to enter a journey of healing and reconnecting with your body. But I understand fully that this is just one I'll be a very big piece of the puzzle. I don't want people to become obsessed and say like, focusing on glucose is the only thing that matters because actually you can eat just alcohol and just fat. Like let's say you only have wine and you only eat butter. Your glucose levels will be perfectly steady because mm. wine and alcohol keeps your glucose levels steady because it poisons your liver and fat does not raise whoa, whoa, glucose whoa, 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 levels. you got to go deep <laughs> I'm gonna into go that. Into yeah. that. I'm going to go into that. <laughs> but all that to say that if you are just drinking wine and eating fat, your glucose levels will be steady, mm. but that doesn't mean right. that you're doing something that's right for you. So we cannot obsess. We cannot all slap on a glucose monitor and say my number one objective is to right. keep my glucose level steady because you can abuse it just how... I misunderstood veganism. I misunderstood the keto diet. Like you can misunderstand things. So I try to keep a very balanced approach uh, that teaches people about this, but also shows them the potential pitfalls. How the hell? So wine and butter does not spike. I mean, I no. get butter because that's purely so fat. So fat does not contain any glucose. Yeah, that so it makes does sense. not create a spike. Yeah. Alcohol. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I actually saw this when I was wearing my glucose monitor. I would test like pasta alone compared to pasta with a glass of wine. And I would see that the pasta and wine led to a much smaller glucose spike. So I was like, oh my God, there's something happening here. I learned about it. And it turns out that alcohol, alcohol is a poison for the body, okay? And the place where alcohol gets processed 
is your liver. Mm -hmm. So when you drink alcohol, your liver goes like, okay, everybody, uh, we're stopping all normal operations and we're trying to deal with this poison. The thing is, your liver is also the place where glucose is organized, where glucose is dispatched into your body, mm. etc. So when your liver is overwhelmed by an alcohol influx, it can no longer make sure there's enough glucose in your bloodstream. Therefore, on a glucose monitor, it looks like your glucose levels are lowering. But this is not a good way to lower your glucose levels because it's actually harming your body in the process. Wow, that's amazing. And I love the nuances of that because it's important to say, just like with keto, just with like with intermittent fasting, it's not all just one. Exactly. All right, we've teased vinegar throughout this whole interview. And guys, if you've stayed here this long, you freaking deserve to hear about the magic of vinegar. Mm -hmm. I like my jaw dropped, to, I had to like pick it up off the floor when I heard it. Now, of course, we don't want people to go out and start like doing like buckets, loads of vinegar, but if yeah. you don't mind sharing the magic. Yeah, so vinegar is something else that's been used for many generations. In many countries, you know, in Iran, they use vinegar all the time. They make it at home. They drink it all day. In Europe, we drink vinegar all the time. In Japan as well. Anyway, or we put it in our food, should I say. We don't drink it. But recently, we've discovered how vinegar impacts our body in a positive way and how we can use it to reduce glucose spikes. So this is what the science shows us, that if you have a tablespoon of vinegar before a meal, you can either like drink it in a big glass of water or you can, <laughs> you don't seem to like that. I was like, oh. Or you can drizzle it on like your vegetable starter, for example, you can make a little vinegar dressing. You can reduce the glucose spike of your meal by up to 30% without changing what you're eating. But just by adding vinegar, you can reduce the glucose spike and help your body process the meal better and have less to deal with. And people need to just, you got to pause there, girl up to 30% reduced just by having vinegar on your lettuce before you eat your absolutely, meal. Absolutely, absolutely. It's quite powerful and interesting. And you may wonder like, how does this work? So vinegar contains another super cool thing, which is called acetic acid. Uh, we love him, he's awesome. Acetic acid does two things. He slows down the speed at which starches get turned into glucose or get broken down into mm -hmm. glucose in your body. So it sort of slows down digestion. And number two, acetic acid goes to your muscles, your trusty muscles, and asks your muscles to soak up more glucose from your blood when glucose arrives. As a result, you have a smaller glucose spike just by adding this little ingredient. Insane! Yeah. And it's really powerful. I find it particularly powerful uh, on cravings. And maybe it's just like, mm. maybe, it, I don't know if it's actually having a different impact than the other hacks, but for me, when I have vinegar before a meal, I really feel like I do not have any cravings after the meal at all. And of course it has to do with the glucose spike mm. because less spike, mm. less drop, less activation of the cravings. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a good one. So, okay, I, I'm just, I get very detailed here. So tell me, is it yeah. any vinegar? Mm -hmm. Is it um, balsamic, red wine, white wine? Is there a preferable, preferred one? This is. You can see the obsessiveness coming out. It's like, tell me exactly what. So any vinegar works because all vinegars contain this molecule of acetic acid. So it's that specific thing. It's the acidic As acid. Acetic acid. Yeah, acetic acid. The one I would recommend a bit less is like the very syrupy aged balsamic vinegar oh. because it's actually quite highly concentrated in sugars. And so it might sort of counter 
act, the positive impact on mm. your glucose. But otherwise, it's any vinegar you want. And if you don't like vinegar, because some people just they can't add it to their lives, you can actually have some lemon juice instead. It's not as powerful. It's not nearly as powerful. And it doesn't have the same um, mechanism of action. So it doesn't do the same things in your body, but it can still help reduce the glucose spike. So now that you've read the book, like think about all the hacks in the book as tools in your tool belt, Love Lisa. That. And use them when it's easy, when you think about them, when it's stress-free, when it kind mm. of folds into your life nicely. And I hope you'll keep them with you, you know, for your whole life and you'll come back to them. And they should become just these things that you know are going to be helpful to your body. You don't need to obsess. You don't need to do them all, all the time. If you can't do them, you don't do, do them. It's fine. Sometimes I wake up on a Sunday morning and I have a pint of ice cream for breakfast and I don't do, do any really? hacks. Oh, homie, I respect you so much. <laughs> I'm like, that's so amazing. Yeah. And so I just do that and I don't do any hacks and I don't have vinegar and I don't put clothing on the ice cream and I don't move, <laughs> and I don't move from my couch. And that's totally okay. <laughs> Closing on the ice cream. It's amazing. My favorite ice cream is... You mean you don't put vinegar on your ice cream? Yeah, no. <laughs> and no clothing. Like, I don't add protein, fat, or fiber, or vinegar, or anything. My favorite ice cream is um, the Van Leeuwen's uh, chocolate fudge brownie. I love chocolate, clearly. And so sometimes it's Sunday morning, and I'll just literally order a pint of ice cream delivered to my house and just oh, eat it in front amazing. of Netflix. And, and that's fine. my point. That's the thing. It's like, you know all this, but now at least you can make the decision. Yeah. Again, it's when people, and I've been there myself, I'm like, I don't understand, especially women that are getting older. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just one thing that so many people is like, I don't get it, Lisa. I've been eating the same thing. And now, like, I've seen women's self-esteem plummet yeah. because they don't feel like they have the control. They feel like they're doing, quote unquote, the work, right? They're like, look, I'm watching what I'm eating. I'm not just freaking shoving McDonald's down my throat every day, right? Like they're trying to really eat healthy and yet they're still not seeing the results in what they're looking for, whether that's clarity of mind, whether that's energy, whether that's not to have the glucose or crash. Or menopause symptoms menop being less difficult. Yeah. yeah, like the skin, you even said the acne. Yeah. And it's actually something you mentioned earlier that I wanted to bring up. You said about the DNA. Mm -hmm. um, how many people were saying, and I used to say, well, it's just genetics. Yeah. It's just genetics. And we use that as a reason, and I get it. Mm. Being able to self-soothe when you're feeling badly about yourself and you can tell yourself like, it's just your genetics. It's not anything you're doing. It makes you feel better in the moment. So I actually get it. Yeah. The problem is, is that I think that you're pulling the wool over your eyes if you're thinking that you don't have the control to then act in a different way. So if you don't actually mind talking to me about how we, a lot of us use DNA yeah. and what you actually say of like, hey guys, it's... So when I was in Silicon Valley, I actually worked in a genetics company for five years. And I thought as well that this was going to give me all the answers. Mm -hmm. I thought that um, my DNA was going to be able to tell me what I need to do to wake up in the morning feeling good. But it doesn't. Your DNA is helpful uh, for you know a couple of things, mostly to tell you if you have any elevated risk for anything. Mm. So maybe you're more prone to this type of cancer or that condition, and that's fine. But even identical twins who have the exact same DNA can have vastly different states of health depending on how they eat, what their lifestyle is, their sleep, their stress, their whatever, all this other stuff that's not your DNA. Your DNA is there, but you can actually reprogram it with how you're eating and what you're doing. So DNA is cool, but again, like I evolved way past that. I thought that's not giving me any answers. 
learning about how food was affecting me and learning about these simple hacks that just truly like a freaking life-changing stuff helped me way more than getting my DNA sequenced and learning mm. I had an increased risk for age-related macular degeneration. I mean, it's cool. I'm glad I know it because now I can, you know, take better care of my eyes, but it did not tell me anything about how to feel good, you know, how to get out of that anxiety and depression and disconnection with myself. Right. It's just like somebody who, let's say the um, women in their family has had breast cancer, right? It's like, okay, you know, A, you need to get checked up more than your average person because it's genetics. But that doesn't mean that you maybe can't, you know, live a different certain lifestyle, yeah. eat differently, see if that can help. Like, I think that's so freaking powerful. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to ask you is the like heritage thing. So for yeah. me, as I was trying to get my gut back on track, Somebody had told me, well, it, it, like, look back in your heritage, look back in your generations of how, what your ancestors ate. Did you then look at what your ancestors ate and started eating in that way Correct. and did it help? Yes. Cool. So I realized I used to hate olives, so I wouldn't eat olives. And it was like, you're Greek and you don't, mm. it's like, yes, I don't like olives. Um, but I, I started to look back and because my dad was brought up in a tiny village in the mountains of Cyprus, it was somewhat a very limited yeah. Mediterranean diet where it was either my grandfather was a goat herder. So they would, so he would like milk the goats and then my grandmother would make milk, uh, cheese out of goat's milk. So I was like, well, what if I change the cheeses I eat? Would that actually help me going from normal cheese to goat's milk cheese? Um, and that actually did notice a slight difference. Cheese in general still bothers me a little though. Um, but the olive oil thing, I even said, like I, I was measuring it and I'm like, oh, well, they didn't have measuring spoons back in my grandmother's day in the village, right? Like they could barely have a spoon. So it was like, cool, I'm just, I'm going to have eat olive oil like they would have done. They just would have poured it on haphazardly. Um, I'm going to eat olives now. I'm going to introduce almonds. Almonds were a thing. I remember they had almond trees in the village. Cool. And my grandparents, to make a bit of money, you would go and like knock the almonds down with a stick and then you would collect them. And then you would go into town and then sell the almonds. So I was like, okay, almonds were a big thing. So I'm going to now eat almonds. But I started eating raw mm. almonds. So things like that, I started to notice, actually did make me feel better. Amazing. Now, being French, I wasn't sure if you had done anything like that. Well, I guess for me, the main thing that comes to mind is the fact that a lot of the hacks and glucose revolution are actually mirrored by so many cultural mm, you know yeah. habits and things that have been passed down for generations so and i think also back in the day we just ate much better food you know whole foods fresh food so that's probably a big part of it as well but um no i haven't heard of a specific thing i mean i guess there was like i guess the paleo movement is also a lot about eating how mm. your ancestors ate but looking back just a couple generations sounds really smart and interesting because maybe your gut and your dna and your microbiome have evolved out of those habits so it would make sense that your body's more adapted to eating that way. Yeah, like my husband, I would give him, like I was saying, like the healthy with the, the coconut sugar. And he was like, he was trying to eat these healthy things. We tried, like, I'd love to talk to you about also artificial sweeteners, that's another thing. But he was just like, you hear like, oh no, it's better to have artificial sweeteners than regular sugar because it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, like impact your body as much on the fat side of things. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day my husband turning around, he's like, babe, I'm telling you, I just feel better if I eat a big tub of Ben and Jerry, you know, haagen or like cold stone ice cream than I do having like this sugar, like this healthy coconut sugar cookie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I bet you it's because of your ancestors. Like <laughs> he just like, 
because he's a bit of a mix. So it's just like they just kept eating sugar, like cane sugar. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, from a glucose perspective, it's better to have artificial sweeteners than to have real stuff. So, for example, it's better to drink a Diet Coke than a real Coke. Just because, yes, you know. So, yes, artificial sweeteners have a bad rep and people say, you know, they fuck up your microbiome, they hurt your cravings, etc. I mean, that's true, but regular sugar does that even more, right? So, in a vacuum, like, a Diet Coke is much better to have than a regular Coke. However, that being said, if you're having ice cream, like, I'm kind of on the side of have the real stuff. Have the stuff you actually enjoy and that really satisfies you and gives you the most pleasure because you're having ice cream anyway. That's a pleasure decision. Like the moment when you choose your ice cream is not the moment where you should be thinking, what's better for my health? You should be thinking, what do I enjoy the most? Mm. You know? And then eating that, which makes you happier. And then using the hacks to sort of minimize the impact. But that's my personal take. No, so sorry, actually, you're a thousand percent right. Mm -hmm. What was interesting when I was saying that, what I thought was, it's like a Netflix documentary or something. It's like the truth about sugar or something Mm. like that where they basically took all these different artificial sweeteners and they compared the artificial sweeteners okay. and how your glucose okay. changes. So yes, yes, yes. It was fascinating. Yes. Have you heard this? No, but I've seen many studies doing this. So there are definitely different camps, right? In the camp of like sweeteners, some are much more helpful to your body and some are much worse for your body. So like the worst ones are aspartame, maltitol, yeah. like that stuff. The ones that seem more okay than the other ones are things like stevia, monk fruits, like that has much less of an impact. Mm-hmm. So not all artificial sweeteners are created equal, for sure. I just didn't, un- I, I never understood the difference, but mm-hmm. they did this whole study where it was like they did, you know, aspartame, which is like yeah. in the Diet Cokes, right? So it's like, it really spikes and then it comes down. And then they did sucralose and it's like, it spikes, but actually the spike lasts longer. Mm. So they did all these studies about these different artificial sweeteners and how they impact your body mm. and why sometimes in the moment, let's say Splenda or whatever, like people say, oh, it's lovely and sweet, but it actually gives you a higher spike. So it creates more cravings mm. than a different type of sweetener. Yeah, That I just was like, It's very interesting, but I wonder, like, I hope they didn't just test this on one person because, you know, there's so many variables. So if I had a cookie today and then I had the same cookie tomorrow, my spikes would look very different just because of everything else that's going on. How rested I am, how stressed I am, my hydration levels, did I work out in the past 12 hours? There's so many variables that come into play that you cannot take a single person's glucose result and extrapolate it into discovery. And I have never done that. I would, ne- I would never do that. Mm-hmm. You know, what we need to do is look at studies that have replicated this on many people. And then we can use one person's glucose data to illustrate it and just make a visual. But you cannot draw any conclusion about anything just by looking at one person's glucose response to something. You know, I love that you said that. So is it more, are you more susceptible to having mood swings, because that's right, that's another big thing, like just all the mood swings because mm-hmm. obviously it impacts your hormones. Are you more susceptible to having more of the knock-on effect from a glucose spike if you've slept badly, yes. if you're stressed? If it's the week before your period. Yes, there's a Ooh, lot of yeah, stuff Yeah, let, let's go down. So, okay, so what are the things? So we- food is a big part of it, but also we have to realize that, you know, your body actually... The way your body responds to food is sort of like a potpourri of everything else that's happening and its state. And your hormonal levels, your stress levels, how your muscles are doing, hydration levels, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So we know that the same food will make a bigger glucose spike in your body 
if you're more tired and if it's the week before your period. So therefore, the same food is more likely to create this cravings roller coaster when you're tired or when it's the week before your period. So what do you do? You become extra cautious about the hacks. You're like, okay, if I'm tired, I'm going to use this even more because I want to make sure I'm not creating too much downstream consequences for myself. The week before your period is difficult. A lot of people suffer from cravings then. And I mean, there's lots of things at play, but the fact that your glucose spikes more easily and then crashes more easily is definitely a big piece of it, yeah. So using the hacks before your period can really help alleviate some of those symptoms. And kind of like in the big bucket of hormonally induced symptoms, PMS symptoms, cravings before your period, missed periods, Mm -hmm. menopause symptoms, endometriosis, etc. These are all connected to your hormonal system. You know, they're all like hormone-linked things. And your glucose levels actually are very tightly correlated to your hormonal system. So if your glucose is spiking and not doing well, your hormonal system cannot function properly. And that's why I see so many people who, using the hacks and getting their glucose levels steady, see so many of these hormonal issues go away. Mostly, you know, PCOS, very common, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's like becoming more and more common in females. Did you say it was like one in eight, I think you said? Yeah, I think that's the latest stat from the study I found. Yeah, so that's a really common thing that people experience. And the first place to look is to make sure your glucose levels are balanced mm-hmm. and that you're avoiding the spikes. And that can go a long, long, long way in making those symptoms go away. Well, and with aging, right? I've yeah. heard you say about like, I mean, let's just talk about, we don't want wrinkles, but they're, they're coming for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think is it one in three now, or maybe one in five women are predicted to have Alzheimer's. Really? It's something really high, but it's still like one in 10 of men or something like that. So it's really? much higher in women, yeah. I had to, this whole interview about Interesting. Alzheimer's. Yeah. Interesting. So Alzheimer's is now being called type 3 diabetes. Yeah. Because we know that what happens in the brain is when you have Alzheimer's is actually uh, very related to your glucose levels. Mm. And so when you have high glucose levels throughout your whole life, basically what happens is that slowly your cells start starving. And when you give them too much glucose, they actually can't uptake it efficiently anymore. So you're feeding more stuff and more stuff to your cells, but they are actually able to receive less and less of it. They become resistant. Um, a little bit in the same way as if you drink coffee every day, after a year, you might have to increase your dose to two cups mm. to feel the same energy effect. And then if you do that over a lifetime, maybe by the time you're 80 years old, you're having five coffees a day. Same thing with glucose in your cells. If you give too much glucose too often, you become resistant. And we're starting to see that in the brain, the same thing happens with your brain cells, with your neurons. So they're not able to receive energy anymore and to use it efficiently because of all those glucose spikes. So that's a piece, that's like um, a path that the scientific community is taking, which is really interesting. There seems to be a real link between those two things. And do we need to start talking about it now? Because even someone that's watching that may be in their 20s, they're like, ah, I've got time. It's like, oh my God, you actually don't, because it builds up. So it's like, you know, I'm 43. So now I'm really thinking about it because I'm not even worried about it. But I'm like, I'm going to be 60. Yeah, like it's coming. Absolutely. And when I'm 60 or 70 or 80, I want to be freaking sharp as hell. And so if I want to be sharp as hell, I better be thinking about it now. Because like you said, if we're just finding out with the studies that it becomes like almost like the stacking effect, like as you were talking, I was kind of thinking of like, do you ever go in, like, I don't know how messy you are. I like clean, like tidiness. But like sometimes I like take off a shirt and I'm like, 
it's just one shirt. Yes. And then the next day I'm just, it's just a pair of pants. And before you know, your clothes are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And now you really don't want to tidy. It's kind of like that where it's like, right now people, eh, it's fine. I'm in my 20s. That's eh, fine. I'm in my 30s. I'm fine. I'm in my 40s. But then when you end up getting 60, you may not be able to do anything about yeah, it. But also what's really cool is that steadying your glucose levels it protects you from these long-term right. things but also it makes you feel better today oh, yeah. so you kind of get the short term and the long term so in a sense there's reason to do it right away and it's cool that it underpins so many things you know how you're going to feel when you wake up tomorrow morning how your energy is going to be your cravings your happiness but also your long-term health and whether or not you're going to develop these diseases so to me there is enough Um, motivation and reasons to try this today to actually you know get it going now and it's so easy I love that you said that because let's face it psychology is everything because everyone's like ah 20 years what's that it's kind of like and I don't want to derail the conversation but this is what made me think and you're from Europe so cigarette packets have you seen them in England and in Europe No, they have to put photos on them. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And horrifying photos. So, like, legally now, cigarettes in Europe have to do a photo of someone that's either in surgery, having, like, a lung transplant to basically show you this is the damage that it does to your body. Um, And I remember for years and years, I have someone in my family that smokes, so I see their packets all the time. And it's, like, you know, organs and images. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I saw a photo of a woman, and it was her face, and it was wrinkles. And it was basically cigarettes cause wrinkle, like bad skin and wrinkles. And I'm like, it's genius. <laughs> like as a marketing strategy, I don't want to encourage smoking guys. So please don't like hate, throw hate in the comments. But I was thinking, oh, people, when you see internal, because you don't see it, it's kind of like what you're saying with yep. the glucose. Because you don't see, you don't actually realize the havoc you're doing. Mm-hmm. And by me saying, hey, you're inside. It's like, eh, I don't yeah. see it, I'm fine. As soon as it comes to vanity, the wrinkles. Do you know, actually, like, the more glucose spikes you have, the more wrinkles you're going to get. It's actually connected. And I know for a lot of people, that's a big motivator. So I, I'm going to get a little bit technical for a second Let's so people it. can, uh, if they're interested in the wrinkles topic. So from the moment you're born, you start cooking on the inside. And when you're fully cooked, you die. There's this process in your body called glycation. And this is the process of cooking that a human body goes through from the moment they're born until they die. And glycation shows on your skin as wrinkles, Mm -hmm. but it also impacts your organs. And that's why slowly your organs deteriorate, et cetera, and get less and less healthy. Now, glycation is something that we cannot stop. It's just a part of life. You're cooking, when you're fully cooked, you die, and that's it. But we can impact how quickly or slowly it happens. And one of the ways we can impact how slowly or quickly it happens is with our glucose levels. So the more glucose spikes we have, and the more glucose spikes we have from sweet foods, actually, because those contain fructose as well, the faster glycation happens, the faster we're gonna get wrinkles, the faster we're gonna cook, the faster we're gonna age, and the faster we're gonna die. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. Um, There's one more thing that I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. So you were saying potatoes, and this is a little random, but I'm so fascinated. Mm -hmm. We convince ourselves that certain type of potatoes may be better for you. So sweet potatoes versus regular potatoes. Um, White sugar versus brown sugar. You say in your book that brown sugar is exactly like white sugar, it's just dyed? Mm -hmm. 
So they use a byproduct of the sugar making process. It's called molasses. And they put back some of the molasses. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like a syrupy dark yeah. thing. They put back a little bit into the sugar to make it browner. Because people associate, you know, if it's, if it's browner, it's like a healthier option. And that's crap. It, yeah, I mean, yes. it's just literally the same. It's exactly the same thing. And they do this also with bread. You know, they, instead of white bread, they kind of make the bread a little bit darker. It doesn't make that big of an impact. Same with rice, actually. Rice wrap, white rice, brown rice, like these things have very little impact. If you really want to make a difference, it's about using the hacks. It's about putting clothing on that bread, you know, having some avocado on it, mm. some cheese, some nut butter, whatever not having it on an empty stomach. It's about whether you have white or brown sugar, making sure, again, like you're using the principles to reduce the glucose spike. That is infinitely more powerful than the color of the bread, of the rice, or of the sugar. Infinitely more powerful. And the sweet potato versus regular potato? Oh yeah, so sweet potato in the name, sweet, right? So sweeter. So sweet potatoes actually have more glucose than regular potatoes and lead to bigger spikes. That being said, they also have a lot of vitamins, so it's really cool. Again, like pick the potato you like, whether it's regular yellow, white potato, or it's sweet <laughs> potato, you know, orange, purple, whatever. Pick the one you like the most. And But what's more powerful is to make sure that before you eat it, you have a veggie starter. You know, that's really gonna have a big impact on your health. The color of the starch or of the sugar, this like, Tiny, I'm holding my fingers really close together right now, but like really, really small impact, really, really small yeah. impact. That's not what matters the most. However, that's what people focus on because the marketing tells them, you know, oh, the brown pasta, much better for you. Mm. It's not even pasta. It's mm. basically like a vegetable, you know, and so we we believe all these things, uh, but they're just we're just being misled, unfortunately. Yeah, thank you for saying that, because I meant to ask you earlier, but the point being is that I worry that we convince ourselves as well, right? Like, and look, I we started with even just saying everything's relative. If you're about to have a ding dong, you're better off having, you know, pasta. Um, but even just that where people are now right now listening to this, making decisions of what they're going to do and emphasizing the fact of like, look, have the thing that you want. Just be very aware with. Yes, exactly. I love that. It's like pick the one you like and then use these other principles around glucose to help your body thrive. The decision of sweet potato versus regular potato that's not where health happens thank you exactly that's not where, the decision of white sugar brown sugar that is not where health happens that is not where feeling better happens where feeling better happens is deciding okay i'm going to try this savory breakfast thing i'm not going to have sugar in the morning anymore or i'm going to put clothing on my carbs or i'm going to move after my meals that's where things actually you know turn the needle i go i literally can speak to you forever i can keep going <laughs> But where can people find you, your book, and all the amazing things? Your Instagram, by the way, is fire. I love that you do diagrams. It really is like really digestible again, you can use that <laughs> word. Um, it's amazing. So where can people follow you? Thanks, Lisa. So uh, my book is called Glucose Revolution. And this is essentially your little Bible of everything glucose related. It goes into the science. It goes into the hacks. It will show you everything you need to know to get started. And then my Instagram is Glucose Goddess, which is a really fun name that I really am really <laughs> happy about. Um, and there you'll be able to discover a lot of free content. Um, so lots of graphs of my glucose data, lots of uh, cool topics, guides. I'm really engaged with my Instagram community. They're absolutely amazing. So that's another place to start.
That's amazing. Guys, guys, go check out our book. I had so much fun. Like she said, we just touched the surface of all the nuggets of gold this woman has. So go buy her book. Go check her out. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Bilyeu. And if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And I'd love to hear, guys, drop in the comments what was the biggest... I'm sure it's going to be the vinegar thing. But what was the biggest shocking most surprise that she laid on you today? If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. Until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace.